You're listening to episode number 86 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ is a company that can save you up to 33% on your life insurance just because you live a healthy lifestyle. Through the use of science and lifestyle quizzes, they show underwriters that healthy people have a lower risk of cancer, a lower risk of diabetes, and a lower risk of all-cause mortality. Because you are one of those healthy people, it translates into a lower cost to you. Now to find out more and help support the show, head on over to healthiq.com slash tailwindcoaching for a free rate quote. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. The only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. From Joes to pros, we've got the tools to make your cycling goals a reality. And now here's your host, Coach Rob Manning. All right, cool new intro. Welcome to episode number 86 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I'm your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today where we're going to be talking about the importance of cycling pedal stroke work. What is it? Why is it important? When can you do it? And how do you go about doing it? But first, a couple of quick announcements. Of course, the website, the Tailwind Coaching blog, my online training plan store, and the episode show notes receptacle is all available at tailwind-coaching.com. Of course, to make sure you don't miss anything new, any of my new posts, any of my training tips, tricks, uh, any discount codes that I send out, head on over to the Tailwind Coaching newsletter and sign up for that at tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up. If you need to contact me, if you want to get in touch, if you want to ask me questions, head on over and give me an email at coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. You can follow me on social media by heading over to the website and look for the about option in the menu. It's on the upper left-hand side of the screen. And of course, if you enjoy this podcast, I encourage you head on over to iTunes and rate the podcast five stars on iTunes. Every five-star rating helps me move up the ranks, reach more people, and get more people to learn how to enjoy riding their bike a little bit more. I don't charge for this podcast. I just, I like getting people out on their bikes, and I like seeing people have fun riding their bikes. So the more people that can get this advice and the more people that can enjoy it a little bit more, the happier I am. It's great free service, and I love providing it. Of course, if you do enjoy the podcast and you want to give back a little bit, consider doing some of your Amazon shopping through one of my affiliate links. It costs you nothing and it helps support the show. And there's a link for that right in the episode show notes for this particular podcast, which will be tailwind-coaching.com slash 86. And of course, lastly, for any of you who are longtime listeners to the show, you know you can always take 10% off anything in my online training plan store with the discount code podcast10. All right, all the housekeeping out of the way. I do want to just touch on this real quick. A couple of people have mentioned that you haven't heard from me for a while. And, um, you know, where's the podcast been? What's going on? Is it continuing? Is it not continuing? What's the story here? Um, I've been really, really, really busy trying to do a little bit of rebranding. There's a lot of stuff happening with Tailwind Coaching right now that I'm working on to bring you a more complete coaching experience. Um, I'm working with a number of you right now. I'm working actually with a bunch of you right now on um, very specific goals, very specific training programs. I'm also working on 
sort of reworking how I do my one-on-one coaching. I'm bringing on a partner um, in inside inscyd.com if you want to take a look at them. What it is, it's a very physiologically specific algorithm that allows you to take power data or if you are so inclined, lactate threshold data or lactate data, plug it into a very specific algorithm and get a deep dive into your own physiology. Uh, I teased it in an email that I sent out very recently. I've gotten a lot of questions about it. It's coming. Don't worry. I just have to figure out how I really want to adapt it, how I really want to enact it, and who the best audience for it is. Because it is indeed a very specific training tool that really I don't think is going to be for everybody. I'll I'll say that right now. But I think for those of you who are really very dedicated to a specific goal or a specific cause, I think it's going to be a huge, huge tool for you. And I honestly do believe that tools like Inside are going to be the future of cycling training. The specificity that it allows, the attention to detail that it allows, is second to none. And there's a reason why professional athletes like Peter Sagan, um, all of Lotto and El Yumbo, uh, Bora Hansgrohe, Katusha, Tony Martin, um, if those names mean anything to you, you'll understand the value that's placed in this program and this testing protocol. So I'm really working hard on getting that to you guys, Um, figuring out how to get it to you guys, how to get it to you properly so that you can use it to the best of your ability and fully in terms of experience. So that's happening. Um, I've also been working hard on kits. So that's up on the Facebook page. Um, You can find the Tailwind Coaching Facebook page by going to the website and clicking on the Tailwind Coaching Facebook page link. So that's up there as well. So just as an idea of what's been going on kind of in my world um, and why you haven't had a podcast for a while, that's 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 going to be it. So enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get that taken care of and uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's show, which is indeed the importance of cycling pedal stroke work. What is it? How do you do it? And why do you do it? And when do you perform this kind of training within your training program. All right. Had a nice sip of my coffee. I'm nice and refreshed. I'm ready to rock and roll here. All right. Why do we do some kind of pedal stroke training when we're riding our bike? Isn't riding our bike as simple as riding our bike? Well, yes and no. And oh, that's the mic. Sorry. (laughs) I just smashed the mic. That's great. Um, Moving on. Isn't pedaling your bike just pedaling your bike? Well, yes and no. I mean, the old adage is it's like riding a bike. You never forget how to do it. That's true to some extent. You never forget how to jump on a saddle, push the pedals forward, and ride off into the sunset. However, your body does tend to forget how to do something efficiently. And this is... This is something that applies to every sport, let alone cycling, triathlon, running, weightlifting, uh, basketball, football, baseball. Any kind of sport has efficiency needs in order to master it. 
right? Now, I've talked about how efficiency can improve your training outcomes plenty of times in the past. In fact, there's a link um, in the episode show notes uh, right here, and it's it's to a post called Be More Efficient, essentially. Um, I, I really encourage you to take a look at that post, read it through in the entirety. It's really important. Um, the recap on that post, though, is that human beings are really very, very inefficient creatures. Um, we are about as efficient as a reciprocating engine, okay? A reciprocating engine is something that you find on things like a lawnmower or a car. In those cases, a lot of the energy used to push the pistons is actually lost as heat. Uh, human beings are very similar to any kind of reciprocating piston engine. We're only about 20% efficient while we're riding on a bike. Now think about that. Only 20% efficient essentially means that if you see 100 watts on that power meter, which I know most of you have now, and most of you are looking at and going, all right, I need, I need to get more, squeeze more out of my body. How do I do it? So think of it this way. If you're seeing 100 watts on a power meter, your body is technically producing around 500 watts of energy. Only 100 of it is actually going into the pedals. Okay? The remainder of that energy is actually being lost to various body functions. Whether it's digestion, whether it's producing adrenaline, whether it's heat. It doesn't matter what the actual process is. The point is you're losing 80% of the power that your body generates to something else. Something that's not helping you go faster than the guy next to you. That's why raising your efficiency is such a phenomenal way to gain a lot out of your training. All right, Raising your efficiency by a few percentage points is a huge, huge difference. All right, So think about this again. If your body's only 20% efficient and you're putting out 500 watts, you're seeing 100 watts on your power meter. All right? Let's up that to 25% efficient, okay? So now suddenly, instead of 100 watts on your power meter, if we add an additional 5%, we're adding another 25 watts. Now you're seeing 125 watts on your power meter for no change in the physiological cost of producing that power. You're still putting out 500 watts of energy. The difference is 125 watts is now going to the pedals. You follow what I'm saying here and why this is so important? If you want to improve your efficiency while you're on the bike, you can do a couple of different things. You can smooth your pedal stroke, right? And I've done posts on this before as well. By smoothing out your pedal stroke, you lose less energy to heat or to inefficient, what I would, con call, what I would consider or call a combative muscle contraction. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. To really focus on that pedal stroke, I've talked about in the past, focusing on your backstroke, driving your knee forward, um, using and engaging muscles like your hip flexors, your ankle dorsiflexors, things like that to unload the side of your pedal or the pedal that is on the upstroke. Take away the resistance to your downstroke, right? Driving the knee forward engages those dorsiflexors. It, it engages those hip flexors. That forward driving motion 
forces momentum over the top of your pedal stroke and increases your downstroke force. All right. Don't confuse it with pulling up on the pedals because pulling up on the pedals is number one, a good way to pull your cleat right out of the pedal. Number two, it's a great way to make your pedal stroke choppy and it's a great way to make your pedal stroke inefficient. Number three, driving the knee forward is an important distinction between the two and it eliminates that choppiness in your pedal stroke. The other way to really work on improving your efficiency is to simply relax your upper body. If you think about cycling as a sport, cycling really is a lower body sport. It's definitely not, with the exception of mountain biking and possibly sprinting, especially on the track, cycling is a lower body sport. And your body is very simple in that the more muscles you engage, the more blood your heart has to pump. Because you have a higher oxygen requirement. You have more oxygen needed to force these muscles or help these muscles actually work. Now, if your upper body is really active, your upper body is really, really, really large, there's less oxygen overall per stroke for your legs, which basically leads to a loss of efficiency. Now, there's definitely some argument to be made for losing weight. However, I don't trust me. Don't go out there and try to waste away your upper body in the hopes of getting faster. Yeah, it'll happen to some extent, but you'll also have a whole bunch of other issues on top of that. Some uh, dysfunctional movement patterns and some things like that. So don't do that. Okay. Just, just don't do that. Relaxing your upper body, however, can really significantly increase your efficiency. And significantly, we could be talking a couple of percentage points, two, three percentage points. You can basically trick your body by doing a little bit of a self-check during an interval, get some body awareness, find out, am I hiking my shoulders up? Am I, you know, gritting my teeth? Am I tucking my chin? Am I straining my neck? Basically, what you want to prevent yourself from doing is contracting, physically tightening up all those muscles all at the same time so that you can prevent losses in efficiency by your upper body. Take a deep breath. Exhale really forcefully. Clear all that CO2 out of your lungs. Drop your elbows. Loosen your grip on the bars. Things like that. These are all ways to go about doing a self-check and to help open up your upper body and relax it so that you can be more efficient in your riding. All right? So here's the question. I just talked about smoothing out your pedal stroke and relaxing your upper body, giving you a couple of extra points of efficiency. Okay, then how do you take the stress off your neuromuscular system? How do you take the stress off your muscular system? How do you make your heart work with your muscles and improve your overall efficiency in terms of riding a bike? Well, To understand how to do that, you have to understand the neuromuscular physiology of the cycling pedal stroke. And I've talked about this plenty of times in the past. Um, There's, again, another link in the episode show notes, tailwind-coaching.com slash 86 to an article I wrote years ago on smoothing your pedal stroke. And that's really an important article. I suggest you read that as well. The short of it, though, is this. If I want to contract a muscle, so I'm looking at my coffee cup sitting on my desk right now. I want to contract my anterior deltoid. I want to contract my tricep. I want to contract my bicep to stabilize. 
I want to contract the muscles of my fingers to pick up the cup of coffee. I want to contract my bicep to bring it back. I want to contract my lat and my shoulder blade stabilizers to bring this cup of coffee back towards my mouth so that I can have a drink of coffee. Anytime I want to contract a muscle, we send a signal from our brain. Well, first of all, I mean, obviously it's generated by a need or a want, but that's an entirely different thing. But we send a signal from our brain down through our spinal cord, through our nerves. Those nerves actually interface with our muscles. So if we think of our hand, if you hold your hand up right in front of you right now, your upper arm and your forearm is a nerve. Now, if you put your hand down on a table with your fingers spread, those represent the terminal endpoints of a nerve or the synapses of a nerve where they interface with a muscle. So each one of your fingers interfaces with a small bundle of muscle fibers and each one of those nerve basically interfaces can contract its own individual bundle of muscle fibers. The more bundles of muscle fibers that we contract, the stronger the contraction. So the long and short of it here is that a muscle is not simply contracting as a whole, right? Parts of it contract based on the force requirements put upon it. Now, as we ride our bike and as we push down on the pedals, which is a relatively unnatural motion, by the way, it's not the same as walking. So it's not something that has been taught to us from the time we're infants and we get up and we take our first steps, right? Each one of those little muscle fiber contractions, those bundles of fibers is called a twitch. Summation of a number of twitches or a collection of twitches actually becomes a contraction. The problem is if all of those little fingers don't fire all at the same time, you have a loss of efficiency in your muscle contraction. So when those muscle fiber twitches are highly coordinated, the force of the contraction overall is significantly greater, more power is produced at less energy cost. So how do we basically make that happen? Well, if you want to force those changes, you have to push your body beyond its comfort zone of what it is actually comfortable with right? There's ways to do this. Now, how do you do this? You do this by performing and maintaining a specific kind of interval training. So I'm going to go through each one of these and each one of these are always featured in my training programs. So if you have any questions about those training programs, what they're there for, this is what they're there for. And we're going to go through these guys one by one. So pay close attention. In fact, if you really, really want to, I would suggest writing this down so you can get an idea of what you can integrate into your own training program in order to improve your own efficiency. So the number one thing, and something that I put in a lot of my training programs, I give to a lot of my regular one-on-one coaching athletes, are super spins. If you are a one-speed rider and you can't vary your cadence very much, a super spin is going to be a nightmare for you. It's going to be a real challenge. The goal of something like this is essentially to drive your cadence as high as you can get it and to hold it there. So how do I do these? I'm going to tell you start in a nice, easy gear, little ring, one of your larger cogs, and start turning your legs as fast as you can while you're holding good form. And that's key. You have to hold good form during any of these intervals, especially a super spin. 
as soon as you start bouncing around on the saddle, you become choppy, you're losing efficiency. So the key to a super spin is to find that spot, that fastest cadence you can hold and maintain and maintain that cadence. You need to aim to hold it for at least 30 seconds, working up to a minute or more as you get better for it. So the ideal target for this, uh, for any of you who are curious, well, I've gotten plenty of, and, and honestly, I've gotten a lot of emails that have said, well, what is the, what is the overall goal of this? Well, your ideal target should be able to hold 130 RPM, um, five to seven reps, 30 seconds to a minute each. What does it do? It creates multiple things. It does, it stimulates multiple changes, to be honest with you. The first change it stimulates is that coordination of muscle contraction, that coordination of muscle twitch. By forcing your body to pedal faster and faster and faster, you're forcing your body to contract those muscles quickly, to relax those muscles quickly, and then repolarize that neuron and prepare to fire again. It's also forcing your body to contract all of these fibers in a very coordinated fashion. Otherwise, you end up choppy, you can't do it, etc., etc. The second part, uh, part of this and the second adaptation that you're going to get is you're going to get a certain amount of endurance capacity for these high cadences. You see, anybody can do a high cadence for three or four seconds, right? Go outside and try it or jump on your trainer and try it. I'll bet if you've never done a high cadence workout, you can still hit 110, 120, 130, maybe even 140 RPM. Can you hold it? Do you have the endurance to maintain that for 30 seconds to a minute? Probably not. As you progressively add these into your training program and continue to do them, yes, they're not fun. As you continue to do those, you will find that your body will become much smoother as you pedal. Moving on from a single uh, super spin, we move into my probably my least favorite thing to do, which is a single leg drill. Single leg drills are indeed an easy and effective way to build neuromuscular conditioning and pedal stroke dynamics, but they suck. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I hate single leg drills. They make me feel like I am jumping on a bike for the very first time again. Um, now, older training theory had suggested that by working on single leg drills, you can really increase the amount of pulling on the pedal that you can do. That increases your power output overall. In reality, and especially with the advent of power meters that really can evaluate your pedal stroke dynamics, it's pretty much shown that that's not true. Usually, when you're pedaling with both legs, one leg is pushing, the other is essentially just getting in the way. Single leg drills essentially train your body to activate hip flexors, ankle dorsiflexors, etc., etc., and stabilize you through the core so that you can more efficiently get that, quote, dead or upstroke leg out of the way of the pushing leg. The net effect here is that by losing less power through the downstroke leg, because you're trying to push that upstroke leg out of the way, you get more efficiency overall. So the idea here is unloading the pedals on the upstroke, you just lose less power on the downstroke. You're not 
putting more power into the pedal. You're not creating more power. You're simply reducing the parasitic drag, if you will, for another car analogy, on that opposite leg. Okay. Single leg drills are super easy to execute, but super hard to do, if that makes any sense to you. Single leg drills, honestly, do them on a trainer. Do not do them outside. I know people have done them outside. I've done them outside on pretty quiet, easy back roads. But let's be honest, with how distracted drivers are and how attentive we have to be to protect ourselves out on the roads, I'd rather you not do that. I'd rather you be on a trainer indoors, even on the rollers indoors has got to be safer than being out on the road. But anyway, it's pretty simple. Get in a gear that's easy to push, but not so easy that you have to turn it into a spin up or a super spin drill. I'll talk about a spin up in a minute. Unclip one leg, let it dangle behind the crank set while you continue to pedal with that clipped in leg. Focus on a nice, consistent, smooth, circular, actually not even circular, more of an oblong pedal stroke. Imagine that you are pushing down and forward through the downstroke of the <clears throat> through the downstroke of the pedal stroke and then up and back, up and forward. So it's more of an ovaloid kind of pattern. All right. Look for as few dead spots as possible. And I guarantee you, number one, these will make you tired fast. Number two, you're going to have one side that is more dominant than the other and one side that you're better at this than the other. Should you spend a lot of time building that not-so-good leg up? Well, yeah. Ideally, you'd like to even that out. But do not spend all your time on one side at the expense of everything else, right? So balance is always very important. Once you've got that done, now once you've got your single leg done, once you're a little more comfortable with both sides, you can progress to things like spin-up drills. <clears throat> spin-up drills are really just a simple variation of a super spin drill. Now I talked about super spins a little bit earlier. In this case, we are we're adding a dimension of physiological control to the interval to make it a lot harder than you would think it is, right? In this kind of drill, you're going to ramp up your cadence from a slow speed to a maximal speed. Now, this is a trick that came from track racing and track training, right? Look at a track race. Guys tend to start from a dead stop. They have to push that huge gear from a really low cadence, in fact, a zero cadence, all the way up to some of these guys are doing 170 RPM. Now, on a track bike, you control your speed, you control your positioning by how fast you spin the pedals. A road bike's not much different, except you can actually coast and you do have brakes, but let's be honest, I've raced enough to tell you brakes can be a real problem. Any good cyclist will be able to control their speed by simply changing their leg speed. <clears throat> and a spin-up drill is how you do that. If you're in a pace line, or you're in a group, and the group suddenly starts to accelerate, <clears throat> a good cyclist 
can simply increase their cadence to stay with that group without having to shift their gears. So, of those two choices, you can either increase your cadence, which increases your power, or you can shift to a harder gear. Which one takes longer to do? If you said shifting your gears, you'd be 100% right. Shifting is inefficient. It costs you the time to shift, the time to settle into that new gear and that new cadence. If you could simply increase your RPMs or your pedaling cadence by 5, 10, 15, 20 RPM and catch back onto the group or stay with the group, you saved yourself that split second that could mean the difference between you staying on the group or being shelled. Not to mention you're already settled into a new cadence, right? Your body's comfortable. It's up to speed. Now you can shift and drop back into a cadence range, which is comfortable to you. All right. Spin-up drills are super, super easy. I like to do spin-up drills. I like to do super spins on descents. Find a gear for, for the spin-up drill specifically. Find a gear that you can pedal at 70 RPM that feels relatively easy. If you're talking FTP, consider something like 80, 70 or 80% of FTP. Now take that specific gear and drop your cadence down to 70 RPM. Hold it there for 5 to 10 seconds. Now, your goal is to increase your cadence by 10 RPM every 5 to 10 seconds until you simply can't hold that leg speed anymore. Usually, you end up with an interval somewhere in the neighborhood of a minute long. What is the point of an interval like this? Number one, it teaches you control and efficiency at multiple cadence ranges from 70 RPM all the way up to 130, 140, 150 RPM. It sounds easy. It's not easy to do. The tendency when you've got a really easy gear is to simply spin it hard. It's much harder to drop your power output and keep a smooth pedal stroke than you think. And of course, once you get up into that 120, 130 RPM range, suddenly now you're putting out monster power and you're thinking, holy crap, this is really hard. Now it's just hard to keep on top of the gear, let alone keep on top of the power, right? These spin-up drills are awesome to do in the bass phase. They're great to do any time of year. I would add three to five times per session, a couple times per week in the bass phase. Suddenly you're going to realize I can change cadence without even thinking about it. And that's kind of awesome. So they're a really important way to add efficiency and cadence range to your repertoire. Now, before I get into this last drill that I love to do, in fact, this is one of my favorite drills to do. I love doing this drill. I actually get a, a great kick out of it and I enjoy it quite a bit. But before I get into that, I'm going to give you a quick moment, um, quick note from my sponsor, Health IQ, and I'm going to step back and actually have a sip of this nice Guatemalan coffee that I brewed up this morning. So I'll be right back. Hey, wouldn't it be great if somebody rewarded you for riding the bike? Well, you might not get a pro contract, but you can save up to 33% on your life insurance through Health IQ just by riding your bike. See, Health IQ knows the value of a healthy lifestyle, and they use specific science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists, just like you. 
It's really, really easy to do, and I've done it myself. To see if you guys qualify for a lower rate like I did, all you have to do is upload your training data, upload your race results, or even just score elite on a Cycling IQ Lifestyle quiz. They can even reduce your chances of getting dinged for a positive family history or a pre-existing condition if you are otherwise healthy. So if you really want to be rewarded for those hard miles, and I'm not talking about the top step of the podium, head on over to healthiq.com slash tailwindcoaching or mention Tailwind Coaching to an agent to get more information and to get a free rate quote. All right, coffee in, and here we go with my last and probably my favorite pedal stroke training drill. In fact, this particular drill has so many benefits, so many things that it works on that it's it, it's impossible to simply call it a pedal stroke drill or an efficiency drill. It, it's just such a versatile tool in your toolbox, in your training toolbox, that why most people are not doing this is kind of baffling to me. Um, this drill is simply called a single speed drill. Now, what is a single speed drill? Well, once again, check out the episode show notes. I've got a link to an article that I wrote about the single speed drill and what it's all about. But let's talk about it a little bit more just because, well, that's what we're here to do. Single speed drills in themselves are a fantastic way to treat your teach yourself, not treat yourself. I mean, you could treat yourself too, I suppose, with maybe ice cream after one, but, or pizza, beer would be preferable, but I digress. Single speed drills are a great way to train your body to be more efficient, to train a proper pedal stroke, and get a significant dose of aerobic or threshold power type intervals in at the same time. The gist of this workout is this. You're going to find a stretch of road that you can ride right about your sweet spot cadence and essentially a specific power number. Now, what is a sweet spot cadence? Sweet spot cadence is very simply the average cadence that you used or your body settled on during your functional threshold power testing, right? So... If you did a 20-minute FTP test and you average, say, 300 watts of power and your average cadence for that 20-minute interval was 89 RPM, that's your sweet spot cadence. That's the cadence your body settled into in order to produce as much power as it possibly could for the duration of the interval. So, sweet spot cadence is something you need to know to execute this interval properly. So here we go. Find a stretch of road. It can be, I prefer it to be moderately rolling. You should not have to do anything more than a 20, 30, maybe 40 second effort in terms of a climb or a descent, right? So you want something that has some changes in terrain, has some undulations, some ups, some downs, some flats, Basically, any change in elevation should be no more than 20, 30 seconds at most, okay? Ride that road in a gear that puts you at your sweet spot cadence and whatever power number is specified in your training for that day. If you're doing sweet spot level training that day, 
you want to be able to ride at your sweet spot cadence and about 91, 92% of your functional threshold power. All right. If you're doing threshold power intervals, you want to do sweet spot cadence and your functional threshold. All right. I personally love to combine this workout with sweet spot training <clears throat> because you can get a ton of return on investment. You're not flogging yourself with a threshold type interval. You're able to recover. You're able to add more to that workout day and you're able to get more efficiency and more training stress out of it. But you can do whatever you want. You can even do this with VO2 max intervals if you so desire. I will tell you, I've tried it. It's really hard. It really hurts. So just be forewarned. But I digress. Long explanation for something short. Once you have found the gear that puts you at sweet spot cadence and that specified power, for the sake of this example, we're going to use that 91% sweet spot interval number. So I'm going out, I'm finding a road that I can turn my sweet spot cadence happens to be 93. So I'm going to turn 93 RPM at about 91, 92% of threshold. And I'm going to stay in that gear. Take off down the road. I'm going to try and keep my power. I'm going to try and keep my power as even as possible throughout the interval. What's going to vary based on the terrain is going to be my cadence. I'm not going to shift. I'm going to stay in that same gear. So if the road tilts up, I'm going to let my cadence drop to try and keep as even a power number as possible. I want to stay as close to that sweet spot level as possible while varying my cadence based on the terrain that is thrown at me. These intervals are hugely beneficial for teaching you how to control your cadence and vary your effort right? It teaches you don't necessarily need to shift every time there's a small change in the gradient. It also teaches you that you don't need to shift the bike in order to vary how your body performs and change how your body puts power out. It teaches you that cadence is a powerful tool in your arsenal. And it also helps you to raise your efficiency a couple of percentage points. So, Thinking about this, considering how inefficient the body is, a percentage point gained with a single speed drill is great. A half a percentage point each with a spin-up drill and a super spin is great. A percentage point with a single leg drill is awesome. You've just increased your body's percentage by 3% or about 15% overall. Think about that. 15%. If you could put out 15% more power without having to raise your functional threshold power, you would be insane not to be doing that. How often do I do single speed drills? I do single speed drills all the time. I do it for three minutes at a time. I do it for five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, 15 minutes at a time, 20 minutes at a time. When I used to live in New Jersey, we had a couple of great roads that were sort of rolling roads that were anywhere between two miles and 10 miles in length. You could very easily settle into a single power number. And many, many times I've done this where I've had a group of people with me that I've been working with. And basically I sit on the front and I say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to get my interval in by doing a threshold power interval. So I'm going to be riding at about 97, 98% of threshold, which is very doable for about 15 to 20 minutes, right? And one of the athletes that I'm working with, I specifically remember doing this several times with a, <clears throat> a few of the female athletes that I've worked with. I'll tell them, look, we're going to do essentially motor pacing. You're going to motor pace me. I'm going to set myself here at this power level, and I'm going to stay at this power level no matter what. Whether the road goes up, I'm staying at this power level. The road goes down, I'm staying at this power level. I'm changing my cadence to do it. They're the ones who are going to be moving out into the wind to get their interval and then sheltering back in again, right? Really great interval training. Single speed drills are a great, easy thing to integrate into your training. I would do it myself two, three times a week, all right, on those transition points. So if you're out doing hill repeats, you're hitting a hill, you're climbing, you're climbing up, you're descending down. Throw in a single speed drill in between. It's not hard to do. Do your interval, descend again, throw in a single speed drill in between. Got it? Four different drills that you can add to your training to help increase your efficiency. Now, the big question that you're all asking, I, I know you're asking this, what's the best time to train this? What's the best time to train your efficiency and to train your pedal stroke? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. There's really not a bad time to ever work on building a proper pedal stroke. You can always benefit from increasing your efficiency. Sure, the base training phase is probably the largest opportunity to enhance your pedal stroke techniques because you have the largest amount of time that is away from structured high-intensity intervals. There's a higher proportion of endurance-based training during the base phase. Lots of time to build neuromuscular coordination, raise your efficiency, improve your pedal stroke dynamics. Once you hit the build phase, your focus starts to shift towards those event-specific high-intensity intervals training days. And it's a little bit harder to get that pedal stroke work in at that point. But if you're smart and efficient about it, you can get it in there during your recovery periods, during your rest days, during pretty much your endurance days. Any point where you're not really focusing on a essentially a power number alone, you can get some of that pedal stroke work in there. Now, something that I'll see people say is, well, I don't, I don't have time to do this during my high intensity days because I got so much work to do. Sure. Now, here's something to think about. You're doing a high-intensity climbing drill. You're, say it's a standing drill, even. You're working on staying out of the saddle, building endurance out of the saddle. How do you build endurance out of the saddle other than become more efficient out of the saddle? How do you become a stronger climber, become more efficient in the saddle, you can practice pedal stroke dynamics at any RPM range, any power range, any time. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that says you cannot train pedal stroke dynamics and efficiency at any point during your training at all. 
You can even train it during a peak week when you've got an A-level race coming in two days. Think about that. Now think about your own training. Think about your own training programs. If you're using one of mine, it's built in there for you. If you're not using one of my training programs, think about your own training solution, whatever you're using, and where you can add this information in there. This is one of the keys, folks, to getting the edge on your competition. The, the best riders in the world are not hunting for increases in functional threshold power. For the most part, the pros all have physiology that is very similar to one another. What they're looking for are the little pieces, the efficiency, the efficiency in training to squeeze the smallest benefit out of their body that they can. So the point here remains, whenever you train intensity, whatever intensity, there's a great opportunity to train efficiency as well. Guys, I know that's a lot of information. If you have any questions, feel free to email them to me, coachrobdc at gmail.com, coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. Do not forget, head on over to the Tailwind Coaching website, tailwind-coaching.com. Don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes if you liked what you heard. Don't forget to share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the Tailwind Coaching newsletter to get updates on further podcasts and other information that I have coming for you. Until next time, ride safe, ride hard, ride efficiently. Keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, and I'll be talking to you again really, really soon.